Would you stand with me, please, as we read this morning's scripture? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief priest appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that in the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Great job, brother. Thank you. What does it look like to follow Jesus? That's the question we're going to wrestle with as a whole as we walk through this chapter again. What does it mean to follow Jesus? For each of us individually, for us corporately, what does that mean? As you're chewing on that thought, let's marinate it in prayer. Let's go before the Lord. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and praise you and ask, O oh Lord, that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we wrestle with your word today, as we look into what you have for us. I would pray right now that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, that, Lord, you, you would speak to us. And, uh, Lord, I, I would ask that you would use me today uh, for your glory. And I, I recognize just my own faults even coming, coming here today, Lord, but I, I also recognize how big you are and how good you are. And so, Lord, I, I, I do pray that you would use me. Lord, I pray for us together that we would have a sensitivity to your spirit and uh, a willingness to embrace what you have obediently. Uh, Lord, not out of, not out of um, I don't know, just sheer discipline, but born out of love and a want for you and the goodness that you offer. We love you, and it's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, if we were in ancient Israel, one of the things we would immediately recognize is how important it was to be a disciple. So to become a disciple was a big deal, and it started actually around five years old. And at five years old, you would start to memorize the scripture, you'd learn the scripture, you'd understand the scripture, and then as you uh, graduated to that, that age of the law, that being a son of the law, that bar mitzvah, 
you would, you would graduate and you would want to become a disciple of a rabbi. And so that might look like this. You would say, uh, Rabbi, as you are, so I want to become, may I follow you. And the significance were, was that you would then yield to what this rabbi would do. This wasn't a, a, a class that you did once a week for you know, 12 consecutive weeks. This was an everyday lifestyle that was an expectation to surrender to your rabbi. This was the height. And you might think, well, that sounds, that sounds kind of tough. Well, I want to give you another scenario that maybe it would be easier to embrace. And it would be as if this situation were to occur. A, a guy like um, oh, Peyton Manning, perhaps. So Peyton Manning shows up at a high school football game. And for this junior, who is a junior quarterback, he says, you know what? After the game, he pulls him off to the side and he says, you know what? I see something in you. And I think you could become an NFL quarterback but you're going to need to follow a guy like me. See, I've been there, and I know what it takes, and I come from a family that has done this before, and why don't, why don't you let me coach you? Why don't you let me train you, and I'll show you how to become an NFL quarterback? That young person, they would do, okay, I'm in, whatever you say. And that's what it looked like in the first century. So Simon is a young fisherman, and Simon is a part of this fishing team, and he loves to fish. That's his family's trade, but he also longed to be a disciple. Now, there's some internal evidence that suggests perhaps Simon had been rejected by other, uh, by other rabbis. It's, it's very possible. I'm stepping kind of away from <laughs> the pulpit, that position of authority. I, that, is, that is perhaps, maybe. That is not, thus saith the Lord. But it could be that he was rejected by other, by other rabbis. Then one day, while he's fishing, he recognizes this figure who shows up. And this figure he had seen in another place. He had heard about before. And this person comes up to Simon and his brother and says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the scripture says that they dropped their nets and they followed him. And it's that moment that they, they are in full surrender. I want, to, I want to be as my rabbi is. And that's the message that Jesus is giving them. I see something special in you, Simon. Something special that I like. And I think that you can follow me. You can be where I am. You can join me in this, uh, in this community. And I can help you to understand the very words of God and Peter, well, Simon at the time, drops what he's doing and follows Jesus. Simon's walk with Jesus is one of calibrating. He constantly gets ahead of Jesus, and Jesus reins him back in, and he gets ahead, and he reins him back in, and he gets ahead, and he reins him back in. And there comes this moment where Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're, you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, that wasn't given to you by man. That's something of God. And he changes his name from Simon to Peter. Cephas is the name. And it has this idea of this solid, like it, it means rock, right? So it could be a foundation. It could be that he's thick and dense. And all of those apply to Peter and who he is for sure. But here's the thing. 
Peter continues to follow Jesus. And he follows him to the Last Supper. And at the Last Supper, just hours before Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus says, you'll betray me. And he goes, oh, no, 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 not me. Not this guy. He says, actually, you're going to betray me three times, Peter. And sure enough, he does. He falls. He falls. I was following you, and now I'm not. But that's not the rejection. The rejection comes after the resurrection. After the resurrection, Jesus meets his disciples, and Peter is one of them, and Peter is even there, and he sees the risen Lord. And after that, there's this moment in John, uh, uh, Peter identifies, he says, I'm going fishing. Well, that's how it looks in English, but in Greek, it has this idea. I'm cut off from my past, and I am a fisherman. That's how it comes off. He's saying, I can't be a disciple of Jesus. I can't, I can't be as he is. I can't follow him where he goes. I'm, I, I can't. I'm, I'm done being a disciple. I'm a fisherman, period. That's it. And so he goes fishing, and it's a great scene. Maybe, maybe you know this scene, but let me describe it to you. It's so fantastic. I love it. Uh, the disciples, the other disciples, encourage Peter, and they say, yep, we're going with you. They don't even try to talk him out of it. They're like, yeah, let's go fishing. So they go fishing. They're out in the sea, and they've been fishing all night. Nothing. They catch two things, jack and squat. That's all they catch. That's it. And so while they're out there, this guy shows up on the shore, and he yells out to him, and he basically says this, hey, fellas, how's the fishing going? Well, it's terrible. Well, have you thought about putting your nets on the other side of the boat? And I was like, we're fishermen. Like, what do you mean, thought about putting it on the other side of the boat? Duh. Uh, but they do it, and they catch so many fish that they can barely haul it in. They finally get it to shore, and as they come to the shore, they recognize that man that called them, that's Jesus. And Jesus reminds them in that moment that fish don't get away from him. Uh, he's the one who calls it. And in that moment, there's some really cool things that happen right in the midst of all the disciples. Jesus, looking at Peter, says, do you love me? He says, Jesus, you know I love you. He says, then you feed my lambs. He says, but, but Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. It's okay. Tend my sheep. But, but Peter, do you really love me? Like, do you, do you really love me? And he says, Jesus, you know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. And it's that banner that is given to him, Peter, at that moment, that he takes and he runs with, along with the other apostles, the church, and a few... And just a few weeks later, it's going to begin, and they're going to oversee it, and they're going to give structure to it, and they're going to love them. And Peter's going to know something, because he followed this. He got that call. He fell. He rejected, and he was restored. And he knows a little bit of something about that, and you're going to get a taste of that when we jump into this scripture here in just a moment. So keep the question in front of you. What does it mean for us to follow Jesus? What we're going to see in this passage is that God protects his flock. So uh, for us to, to really chew on that, we're going to ask, one, what is the danger? We're going to look at how is the flock protected, and we're going to take a little bit of time to say, what are the rewards? Let's go to that first question. What 
is the danger? Well, it starts here. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, let me just pause there. When we're talking about the devil, I'm not going to tell you to underline anything or highlight it. I'm not going to do that. But mentally note this, adversary. It's this word that is used often in law. And what would happen is the adversary, they would come with a legal claim. And often it was used in a malicious way. So this legal claim is against you. It might even be a true statement. Uh, But this adversary, this person is against you. Used uh, usually legally, but Peter uses it to talk about the devil. Your adversary, the devil, the slanderer. That the one who is against you. He's going to stand up and he's going to say these kind of things. And some of them might even be true. You're a liar. You're a cheater. You don't deserve salvation. You don't deserve what God has for you. Who do you think you are following Jesus? You think you're better than everyone else? You know what? You're no better than anybody. In fact, you're at the lowest rung of this ladder. You're below the lowest rung of this ladder, and you shouldn't be here. You have no business here. How could you ever think that there is a God who would care about you, who would love you, who would draw you into himself? Who do you think you are? And if you're not careful, you can embrace that. Many people have. You know what? That's that's not wrong. I don't deserve the salvation that I've been given. You know what? I don't know what I was thinking, serving. I don't know what I was thinking, thinking that there could be this holy God of heaven who could care and love me, and we could get caught into that sort of thinking, and he's got you. Because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, this This word that's used there is this hungry beast. He's hungry. He's looking for someone, seeking someone to devour. Don't let it be you. What's the danger? The danger is Satan, and it's real. And the reality is that you and I, we're going to see in verse verse 9, if you have your Bibles, I don't have it up there today, but if you have your Bibles, let me just point this out real quick says, resist him, firm in your faith. Now, this idea of resist does not mean go looking for a fight. Go pick a fight with the devil. But it means as this onslaught comes in, you resist it. When those lies are hurled your way, you don't receive that. That's the idea here. Continuing on, resist firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not in this alone. There are others who are walking this with you. Do not, do not fall to the temptation of that liar. And here's the reality, we, the, and the emphasis theologically is this. Jesus has done the work. Like We have that victory in Christ. And so we stand with Christ, not on our own. We don't take on the devil on our own, in our own flesh. But rather we stand where Jesus has stood. We stand with Christ. We know that he has taken care of it. We know that it's him who can look at the adversary and say, you know what? That has been paid for. That has been covered. I took care of that at the cross through my resurrection. It's done. Shut up. Like he has the power to do that. We don't. That's a big point. So let's look at this. How is the flock protected? Well, it starts with the chief shepherd. That's that's Jesus himself. 
this, this particular passage refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd. He's the one who really cares for all of the flock, uh, everybody that's involved. But we also see this lived out in, uh, for example, Revelation. In Revelation, we see Jesus walking among the lampstands that represents the church. He's able to snuff out the wicks, the, the light from those churches if they choose to not follow him. He cares and is intimately involved in these churches and knows about them and walks with them. He's the chief shepherd who never leaves us or forsakes us. And that's him. But then he gives additional structure. So Peter is going to give additional structure to the church. And before I go any further, I, I, I want to make this statement because it's, it's worth making. It's worth hearing. I hope you can receive it. And it's this. That the church is the bride of Christ. Let that sink in for just a moment. Because we, I, I hear this often, and I, I got to tell you, it ruffles my feathers just a little bit. And, and it's this, when people start bad-mouthing the church. Are we, is the church perfect? Absolutely not. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, is the church perfect? No. But it is the bride of Christ, and so we need to be careful. It's like this. Uh, if somebody said... Kenny, I really like you. I don't really want to spend time with your wife. I'd be like, then I have no business with you. Like, that's my bride. <laughs> this, we're not going to hang out. So let's be cautious and careful when we're talking about the church. This is the bride of Christ. It's a big deal to God. And God was willing to come in the flesh. He was willing to give his life for this bride. Is she perfect yet? Nope, she's going to be. So we need to be careful. So... In caring for this church, he gives shepherds. It's identified in, in verse 1. It says, so I exhort the elders among you, the, the, the presbyteries, uh, the pastors. I exhort you. That means Peter is saying, I'm, I'm calling you to come beside me. That's literally what that word means. I'm calling you to come beside me, you shepherds, you pastors, you elders. As a fellow elder, so he knows what that means, and a witness that word witness in verse 1 is where we get the word for martyr. I'm a witness. I'm, I'm willing to lay it all down, and Peter does, of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's calling a, a level uh, of leadership to the church. And that leadership we often refer to as pastors. Sometimes we call them elders. Uh, in, in our faith practice, um, but that's where it comes from. And before we go any further, and before I dive into that, I want to talk about a couple of things. Because Satan, Satan is roaring. He is prowling like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And he's, he's devoured some shepherds. And some of you have been wounded because of it. Maybe it's been in your past church. Maybe it's been someone who led you to the Lord who, who fell off to the side. Maybe, maybe it's been from uh, viewing some, from some shepherds from books that you've read or people that you watched on YouTube or whatever, but you saw these shepherds be devoured and they led people astray. In fact, some of them turned out to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And it's really hard to submit to anything that might smack of that. And I get it. I get it. I'm struggling with it myself. I'll just tell you that right now. 
Um, one, of, one of my favorite reads is from a guy named Ravi Zacharias, who just recently, it's come out where he has sexually abused some women and tried to intimidate. Man, that's somebody I read and I cared about and I love and I, he's gone on to be with Jesus now and I, I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't want to hear what that's going to mean for him. But there are other pastors who have been predators. There have been other pastors who have gone into heresy, who have led others astray. And I just want to tell you, if you've, I, I can't apologize for those names, for those people. I, I'm not going to try to apologize for those that I've mentioned. But as a person who stands in the office of pastor and as somebody who I get to care for, if you've been wounded, if you've been abused, if you've been spiritually terrorized in any way by someone who has stood in the office of pastor in your life, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened. That wasn't the point. The point was to care. The point was to build. The point was to grow. And there have been people who haven't done that. In fact, they've done the opposite, and I'm sorry. Having said that, I also have to say that shepherds have this just incredible responsibility, and I know it. I'm living it. I've lived it. I've spent my adult life in it, and it's, it's so much fun. Like, I love it, and then there are times where I don't. And having, this, having to have those conversations where I'm like, Okay, so here's what the Bible says, and here's what you're doing. Do we agree? Yes? Okay. Well, the Bible calls that sin. Not me. That's what the Bible says. I have to tell you about it, though. Well, I don't like you. I'm angry with you. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I love you. But this is what the Scripture says, and we have to stand there. Well, you're being mean. I'm not trying to be mean. I love you. I care about you. I also don't want you to lead others astray. I also want you to be able to follow Jesus. I also want you to be an example for other people who maybe have gone astray a little bit and they just repented and they came back to the Lord and they're, they're growing and they're loving and it's a beautiful thing. And I want, I want that example for you too. And you can do it. Well, I'm out. Okay. And when they go, I'll just tell you, every pastor feels a little bit of their heart go with them. And it stinks. I hate that, but it's a reality. Shepherds are called, and this is what Peter has to say about them. He says, shepherd, and what he means by that is tend, feed, guide, guard the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So there is an oversight responsibility, not under compulsion. Ah, I have to do this. No, I get to do this. It's great. But willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That word example is a great word. We get the word type from it. And, and it's like an imprint of something that we use as a mold for other types, for others. It's a mold. And be that kind of thing to the flock. So... I I share those things because I want to tell you that there is a structure here at Friendship. 
I'm going to make a request of you right now and it just needs to stay here because we're close and we can do this. And that is, don't tell Matt what I'm about to say, okay? Can we? So Pastor Matt, he's over in Prior Lake right now. I love working with that guy. He's so much fun. And I'll tell you, the guy that he is on Sunday is the guy that he is every day. And he's only a jerk sometimes. <laughs> it's usually to me. I'm just kidding. Great guy. Uh, we have other pastors on staff. Uh, Sam, he was up here uh, a couple of weeks ago and he preached, did a wonderful job. I was so proud of Sam. My office is next to him. Yeah, love that guy. Great job. Art, he oversees Celebrate Recovery and some other ministries. Great guy. And I could go on about all of our youth ministers. I could tell you about our family ministers. Uh, they are men who are accountable. And then I go to the elders, and the elders are guys that we're accountable to uh, as staff. We'll go to them and say, ah, hey, I'm struggling with this. Well, let me pray for you. Let me anoint you with oil. Let's talk this through. Uh, they help keep us accountable. So as I say, be subject to shepherds, I am saying I am also subject to shepherds. We are also subject. It's a big deal. It's hard. It's not easy. It's against our flesh sometimes. But there is a plurality of elders here at Friendship on purpose to protect. You're protected. Get the opportunity to work with Matt and Tom DePetra, uh, on Mondays, we meet together and we talk about things that are going on in the church. And we're trying to do these sorts of things to oversee, to be an example, to not domineer. I'm not saying we do it perfect. That's not at all what I'm saying. In fact, I'm pretty sure, we, I'm pretty sure I don't. I won't speak for anybody else. I'm pretty sure I don't. I appreciate your grace. But this is a big deal. And it's to protect the flock. There's also an element of self-care. And self-care for the believer looks different than it does for the world. And it's going to feel different. And even as you may be reading this, maybe you're getting ahead of me just a little bit and you're reading through that, you're going to go, that doesn't sound like self-care. That doesn't sound like something that would really help me. I want to tell you, if it's in the Word of God, it's there on purpose. And it will help. And submitted to the Spirit of God that we are. These are some beautiful things. So from five through nine, I'm going to go through them kind of quick. So hang in there with me. But here's the reality. Subject to the shepherds. It's no fun to argue. It's no fun to fight. If it's in the word, you know, if, if, if we're talking about the virgin birth, for example, guess what? We're, we're, we're not going to move on that stuff. There are some the, theological issues that we're not moving on. Salvation by Jesus Christ alone. Nobody else gives salvation. is Jesus. We're not moving. Subject to the shepherds. Humble to one another. The word that's used there means like to, to walk real low to the ground. Not slither, but like walk low to the ground. We're humble with one another. We care for one another. We want to serve one another. And then just to clarify it, Peter follows it up with, so be humble. Like, not just to one another, but when you're by yourself, be humble. This is an attribute of the church of the living God. Continuing on, cast anxieties on him. And, and this, is, this is an interesting phrase. It's, it's easy to miss this, because you might think that what we're doing is, as we get anxious about things, we just tell God, like, oh, I'm anxious about this, and 
this came up and I'm anxious about that. But that's not the word picture that's used here. To cast something, it, it means to deposit. So we're depositing our anxieties to God. Here you go. This is yours. But the way that it reads in the Greek means that we are taking all of our anxieties, past, present, future, taking them all, and I'm depositing them with God. There you go. They're yours. You can handle them. You got this. I don't have it. You have it. Now, I'm not saying that that's not a practice we may need to do uh, multiple times in our mind a variety of ways. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is the idea is I'm depositing those anxieties with God. He's got them. Why? Because he cares for you. He's the chief shepherd. He loves you. That's why he came on the cross. That's why he died on the cross for our sins. That's why he conquered sin and death. Sober-minded. Clear thinking. Watchful. And then resist the devil. And we've, we've talked a little bit about what resist the devil means. So let's talk through the rewards. Because these are big. I'll highlight most of them. The last four, though, I, I want to land on. It starts with this victor's crown. You get this victor's crown and it doesn't wear away. It doesn't go bad. It, it is a beautiful crown. It's not something flippant, you know, like it's not like Tom Brady taking the trophy and throwing it. It's not like that. Like this, this is a beautiful thing. This crown is worth keeping and it doesn't fade away and it doesn't go away. It's beautiful and it's good. And in this particular passage seems to be talking about one for pastors. But as we look at the the fuller context of scripture, believers get a crown. Keep up the fight. It's worth it. Keep, keep moving forward. Keep walking it, but we're walking it together. Continuing on. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. I, I love that acronym. I think that's a good one. It means we're getting something we don't deserve. Grace has been extended for those of us who, who follow Jesus, who are faithful, who are walking with him. Grace is given. And you and I need grace. Exalt. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and look at verse 5, the end of verse 5. It says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But let's not miss this. God opposes the proud. Who wants to be on the other end of God? That's not a great idea. I don't want God to oppose me. So what's the answer? Be humble. Be humble, and he'll exalt you. He'll lift you up. What a great thing. When we come before God, God, I am not worthy. It is only because of your son and what he's done in my life. That is the only way I can even be in front of you. And God says, come here. Well done, good and faithful servant. And he lifts you up to himself. I love that. Eternal glory. This is a good one, and Peter hits it often throughout this book. The reason Peter hits it often is because he wants us to know this isn't it. This is, like, when we die, there is more. When we die, we're actually living. This eternal glory moves on from this place. We get to taste it here. We experience it fully there. It's eternal. Look forward to it. Look forward to it. And then these four. I, I, want, I want you to consider these four. Some of your... Uh, some of your Bibles, that word restore, might even say perfect. 
And, and it has this idea, uh, I mean, if it says perfect, you may be thinking, like, mm, grow into maturity. That's not what this word means. Restore, actually, it means to fit together. Another way that it's used is to mend, like mending a net, uh, uh, like a fishing net. You mend it, you put it together, you make it stronger. And one of, the, one of the rewards we get is that God is knitting us together. He's making us stronger. These, these aren't uh, just for us individually, but they're also experienced corporately. The next word there is confirm. It's, it's a fun word too. It means to turn in a different direction. Uh, I, I had seven kids. I have seven kids. I said it like past tense. I had seven kids. No, nope, I still do. And when they were babies, just little, they first started walking, you could see it in their eyes. They would catch something, and you knew something bad was about to happen. Like, they're, they're going to get that thing that they're not supposed to have, and they would get fixated on it, and they'd do that little toddler walk all the way over to it if you let them. So what, what we learned is we just pick them up, and we turn them in a different direction, and they see something else. They forgot about that, and they walk in that direction. That's what God does to us. <laughs> Let me confirm this. Well, Kenny, try that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, strengthen means to strengthen and then uh, establish you. I love this. God wants to establish you. The word means to lay a foundation to build up. I don't know what you've come from, what you've experienced, where you've been, but I do know this, that there is a God who wants to deliver And he did on the cross, and he's delivering daily if we would be willing to receive him. But we don't do this on our own. This is united, and this is together. So what's your story? Do you remember that time when you called on Jesus as your Savior? Or maybe today is your day. I need to do that, Kenny. I'm convinced. I want what you're talking about. Today's the day. Cool. Or maybe you're in a place where you've fallen. Oh man, I thought I would never change my attitude. I thought I would always be in line with Jesus, but I dropped the ball. I denied him. Maybe it was a work situation, or maybe it was with a relative, or maybe it was a friend, or maybe it was a school. You fell. Peter knew about that and calls us back to Jesus. Maybe you've rejected even. Nope, I can't. I can't follow that. If following Jesus looks like that, I can't do it. I'm out. Maybe today's the day to be restored. Maybe today is your day to be restored. And today's a good day to consider that um, because we're going to enter into a time of communion. In just a moment, the worship team will come out and uh, as they come out and just prepare um, for this, this next uh, set of worship, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get out this little cup. This cup has two sides, and one side is the bread, one side is the juice. And as you're looking at it, I, I want to take your mind somewhere. And as you're just kind of looking at this, I, I want to remind you of some things. We, we don't believe that this uh, this juice and this bread actually turns into uh, the body and blood of Christ. We, we don't believe that that's the case. But we believe God's word is true. And God's word says that 
Jesus is with us. And in a, in a, in a way that is filled with mystery, I can say that Jesus is present. And I know he's with us. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. I believe that. And so, in that respect, we're joining saints from the past who've gone before us. We're joining saints all over the world right now who are participating with us. And we're joining saints in the future that will be participating. And we're saying that this body was broken for us. That this blood was given for us. That we could have life. Communion only makes sense to the believer. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this doesn't make sense. In fact, I'm going to ask you to not participate if you're not a follower of Jesus, but that's between you and the Lord. You know that better than I do. And then secondly, we're called to examine our hearts. This call to examine our hearts is given by Paul. And Paul says it, uh, reminds the church this. He says, some of you are getting sick and actually falling asleep. That was a way that he talked about dying because you're taking this flippantly. Let's not do that. So examine our hearts. Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there anything that is keeping us from following Jesus? So just quietly where you are, I, I want to encourage you to wrestle through that before we participate in this together. as you feel the peace of God that your heart has been examined and that if there was repentance, you repented before the Lord. And if if everything's okay, then praise the Lord. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he passed it to his disciples, reminding them that this is his body. It was broken for us. And in just a few hours from that moment, Jesus is going to go to the cross and give his life. We're joining the Lord in this and remembering what he has done and helping us as we walk forward with him in our own discipleship. Let's participate. In like manner, Jesus took the cup, he lifted it up, and he gave thanks. And he reminded his disciples that he said something new. He said, this is my blood. This is a new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. As a reminder that we're sinners and we need a Savior, and Jesus died for us. He gave his life that we could have life. And we remember that when we participate. We're participating of this cup, saying that we're in this together. We're following Jesus together. Uh, That's a part of drinking of this cup. We're family. And so with that in mind, we remember the sacrifice that was given for us, and we participate together. Just as a matter of housekeeping before I pray for us, I would ask you to hold on to your cup and deposit it in the trash can on your way out. That's really helpful, and we appreciate it. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you, and we thank you and praise you, and we ask, Almighty God, that you would be exalted. Thank you, Lord, for sins forgiven. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you that you love us enough that you protect your flock, and you use, you use that chief shepherd 
so often in our lives to calibrate us and to put us where we need to be. And, and Lord, you use shepherds in our lives, elders and pastors who, who at times have to wrangle us and, and, and help us, Lord, as, as we follow you. And you keep us uh, united in that. You also give us some direction, some self-care, things to address in our own lives that as we do these spiritual disciplines, you are glorified and honored. And we love you, Lord, and we thank you and praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.